clients want to be led. Some of the clients we work with are some of the wealthiest in Canada. And it's like, you know what, you're the best of the best at your field, but we're the best of the best at our field. And you've got to follow our system and our process. And I promise you, we're going to get you to the finish line and you're going to be very happy with the result. But what I find is a lot of the type A high net worth guys that I work with, a lot of them, they like that. They like knowing that they're talking to somebody that can lead them all the way through. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Drew Donaldson. He's a mortgage broker and founder of Donaldson Capital. Drew's been in the mortgage business for 15 years and was a comfortable 100 million a year producer. That is, until this year, he went to 172 million. I know it's funny to say comfortable 100 million a year producer. A couple of takeaways that I got from my conversation with Drew. He's a very bright guy. I'm not surprised at all, actually, that he's built the business that he's built. Three things for me that I took away. One, I love that he has a very specific niche. He's going to share with you his pitch that he uses when he's talking and it's high net worth clients who are looking for cottages, construction, and big mortgages. And that's a niche that most mortgage brokers shy away from. I know I did when I was actively doing mortgages and Drew has figured out how to do that and do it well. The second thing I took away from him is that he makes sure his clients are committed before he actually submits it in to a lender and doesn't waste a lot of time on it. You know, you got to commit before you submit. And he uses this great line, do the deal before the deal. So once that deal is live, he's going to have a conversation with the client, make them fully commit to what the plan is for it. And only when they're committed, does he submit it? You've got to think that there's a lot of mortgage brokers out there that are listening to this that don't do that. And they create a whole bunch of headache and pain for themselves. So if that's you, take Drew's advice to heart. And then finally, his advice on you can't be partly committed to something. You have to be all in. And he shares an example of a tech startup that he was building and decided that because he wasn't fully committed, backed out of it. And, you know, it's so easy in this business to be like, you know, I can go make a bunch of money. And the people that are really successful in this business are fully committed. Both feet in. They do not mess around. Hopefully you're committed to the mortgage business if you're listening to this. But if you're not, it's okay to find something else to do. I know it's out of mortgage brokering podcast, but if this is not what you're absolutely committed to, I would encourage you to think about something else that works. So awesome. Thanks for taking the time. Check out this episode with Drew. I think you're really going to dig it. Hey, Drew, welcome to the show. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. So, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got in the mortgage business. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm a passionate guy who cares deeply about our clients and staff. So I sold my shares in my last company that I was running for about 10 years, where we hired a lot of mortgage agents and uh, kind of went down that road. And then I launched Donaldson Capital at the beginning of 2020. And I'll tell you, the volume, 72% growth in the last year, which you know obviously was a huge blessing and something I probably should have done a long time ago. And so when you say 72%, we're not talking about going from like 10 million to, you know, 17 million. Do you mind sharing numbers? Is that okay? Yeah. You know what? We hit about hundred million in 2019, just my practice. And then we did over 170 million, almost 180 million just on residential mortgages in 2020. So, you know, couldn't be happier with the growth that we had. And, you know, we were talking about this before we got on air here, though, that you said something to the fact there's a market was fantastic, but it wasn't a 72% lift for everybody. What do you think was the other reason that you were able to create such a growth year this year? Yeah, I mean, it's all about the relationships in this business. So, you know, I spent the last 15 years shaking hands, kissing babies type thing, just building my network of core people. I didn't try to chase every single realtor. I didn't try to chase every, you know, financial planner, nothing like that. It was really just building deep relationships with people that I had a common bond and interest with. You know, now I can really say that the opportunity was ripe in 2020, where people couldn't walk into the branch, 
other competitors who are just starting out couldn't sit there and, you know, go to the birthday parties. And, you know, I didn't feel like I had to be everywhere or, or everything. Right. Yeah. They couldn't act. It was harder for them to actually come and steal your referral partners because they can't get in front of them. Yeah. So, I mean, I sat back and a lot of the relationships that you've taken care of over the years, they were, I mean, the phone was ringing. They're taking care of you. Okay. Awesome. So before we dive into the rest of your story, can you share a quote that's had an impact on your life or business? I kind of live by the quote that you are where you are in life based on the decisions you've made in the past. And I mean, if you don't like that, then it's time to make a change. You know, I always tell clients, I tell friends this, if you're 40 years old today and you're not happy where you are, when you wake up on your 45th birthday, what are the kind of decisions you can make today? So when you wake up on your 45th birthday, your future self is going to thank you for and, and that goes for a lot of things. I mean, from health to personal or business, if there's some decisions you need to make today and some things that you need to change, I mean, do it, make the change today. And five years down the road, your future self's definitely going to thank you. Right. Was that one of the reasons that you left the other company and decided to like not have the whole sub agents and stuff? Is that part of it? Listen, I have nothing but good things to say about the past company. You know, it was 10 years of my life. I live by the fact of there's no regrets and learned a lot there. And learned a lot about business and everything, but you're right. I mean, you learn what you don't want to do. And for the next five or 10 years, I really wanted to build a niche model, heavily focused on the client, heavily focused on my practice. And it's great now launching Donaldson Capital, having the freedom to do that. When you say niche client, who's your ideal client? If I could get 300 of these people call me every year, I'd be thrilled. What do they look like? You want me to give you my elevator pitch? Absolutely. I want to hear your elevator pitch. We provide customized mortgage solutions for high net worth individuals and families committed to growing their wealth. We process large residential mortgages, primarily in Toronto and Muskoka, with a focus on construction financing and cottage financing. So if you look at that, we have three pillars. It's the large residential mortgages, typically north of $1 million. We specialize in that. We specialize in that custom home construction financing. And then we also specialize in that cottage market. We're the known players in the big three lakes in Muskoka. And you know, I cottage up there, but I also you know, have a lot of deep relationships there. And I just felt those were kind of the three pillars that we wanted to go after. And so far, it's going great. Okay, so this is a great question on this. So you said the big mortgages, the cottages, and the construction. How would it divide out over you know, the $170 million approximately? Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting. When I thought about that, my average loan size is a million dollars. But the difference is the million dollar mortgages typically fall into the high net worth individual. So they're the ones that have a place in Florida. They're the ones that have a secondary home. And then those are the ones that sometimes they're investors in real estate. They need some private capital on the side. So it's tough to say cottage market, maybe 20% of my business, million dollar mortgages, 80 to 90% of my business for sure. And then the construction financing, maybe 20% type thing. Okay. So it's a smaller percentage of it. I never enjoyed construction. I always found them, but if you get a niche for it now, if you didn't niche like this, do you think this would affect your business? I love the fact that you have a very narrow focus. What do you think would happen if you broadened it? Well, I've never been a big advocate of jack of all trades, master of none. I think the growth this year speaks for itself. I mean, up 72%. So my last company, we did insurance, investments, a lot of things like that. And it's great to go down that road, but be the best of the best at one thing. I only want to do mortgages. I want to be the best of the best at it. And it's all about adding value to the client. Mm -hmm. So I feel like those three pillars, not only do we want to attack that market, but we can add the most value to the client. I don't know. I've never built my own brokerage without having that focus. So it's, it's a tough question. 
right? I've always find funny is you go to somebody's website and it's like, we specialize in, and then they have a list of 15 things they specialize in. I'm like, you don't specialize in anything. You know, you can't specialize in 15 different types of mortgages. Pick something, man. There's a benefit to being focused like you are. Okay. So let me ask you about failure. So obviously, you know, been in business a long time, failure happens. So can you think of a time you failed and now looking back though, there was a lesson in it for you? Failure is always one of those things that's tough, right? Because you really got to reevaluate yourself and what you made. If I were to think about it, I did a tech startup with a friend of mine. Actually, he's a realtor. Maybe eight years ago. So I was in my early 30s. And anyway, we thought it was a billion dollar idea. We raised some money. This thing's going to be a billion dollars. And we were all excited. We spent a lot of the money on the technology itself. In the end, you know, I had a wife, I had a kid on the way. I think I was, might've been 30 at the time. It came to a point where we were going to have to go all in and the amount of money from my mortgage practice and my mortgage income, I could just could not give it up to go all in on this venture with this guy. And he was this in the same way. He was married. He had a kid, another one on the way. So, you know, my lesson to that is don't start something unless you're going to go all in. In the beginning, I should have said, you know what, if things start to pick up, we started hitting media traction, we started getting you know, VCs talking to us, I should have evaluated from the beginning, like if this thing heats up, am I willing to go all in? And for that venture, I wasn't. But in the future, it tells me where you don't want to have your toe in the water on something, it's never going to work. You're either all in or you're not. Right. That's good advice. You talked about already that you shifted your focus to your own company in the last year. What other big change have you made to your business in the last 12 months? Nothing too much. I mean, I hired a junior. I hired somebody that would take my overflow on stuff. She's a rock star. I hired an EA. So I had an underwriter already. Just before the pandemic hit, I was like, you know what? All this other stuff that I'm doing and whether it was like different investments, private equity, whatever, you're always having to sign things. You're always having to review documents. I just needed somebody that would literally take everything off my plate. So I made the investment for that before the pandemic started. The so overflow. Your executive assistant you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I felt like we've been teamed up. We call ourselves the dream team, which I know that expression is kind of getting played out these days, but yeah. we've got the dream team now where it's like, you know what, the deal comes in and uh, we've got a clean process. And that's another thing in this business. It's like clients want to be led. Some of the clients we work with are some of the wealthiest in Canada. And it's like, you know what, you're the best of the best at your field but we're the best of the best at our field. And you've got to follow our system and our process. And I promise you, we're going to get you to the finish line and you're going to be very happy with the result. And what I find is a lot of the type A high net worth guys that I work with, a lot of them, they like that. They like knowing that they're talking to somebody that can lead them all the way through. Okay. This is a great topic, actually. So do you find you have to be strong in your conviction and confidence because some of these people will run right through you if you don't, right? So like, do you have some people push back and then you just push them a little and say, hey, no, no, this is what we do. This is our process. 100%. I do that every single day, which I mean, it can be a little taxing on the soul, just <laughs> always having to stand up to people. But I mean, if you talk about tax situations, you know, a guy might be telling me something about his tax situation. I can then give him an example about my own tax situation. But having a trust, having a corporation, having multiple corps, you know, building a cottage, building a house, those are the types of things where we can tie into personal experience. To me, I'm always telling stories, whether it's telling a story about a hypothetical client that we've worked with in the past, telling a story about something I've done personally or something I've maybe even just heard about, because I find that always resonates with people. And it doesn't matter if you're worth 50 million bucks or you're just getting started out. If you hear a story of a situation that you can kind of apply to your own situation, it's a non-threatening way to take people through the experience. 
Right. It's more sticky. Like you can talk about everything, but the only thing you remember is the story anyway. Like you can have all these facts and numbers and, but they remember the story. Yeah. I was talking to my accountant. So I'm in the process of selling a business and he wanted to get on a call and he wanted to explain how we're going to do it. Cause I have a family trust and stuff like you do. And he's like, Oh, you won't pay any tax. We do it this way. And he, I'm like, I don't care. Like, you don't need to explain it to me. Like, this is why I'm paying you. I'm like, whatever I'm, I'm paying you per hour, which is a crazy amount of number. Cause I don't want to think about it. Like, this is why you hire professionals. So my thinking is, is when it comes to these high net worth clients or even any client, if you're the professional, be the leader, right? Don't let them run amok and then break your process. So I want to ask you about your process. So leads come in. So what happens? Like, are they talking to you? Are they talking to your team? Like what typically happens there? Yeah. I mean, lead comes in, especially if it's a larger lead, I'll hop on a call. It's typically a, a 10 minute phone call. We go through the consultation. And then from there, I send them our standard pre-approval email with attached application and documents that we're going to need. So whether it's a refi or a purchase, that always ends up going out. From there, it's really the balls in their court. I mean, they got to get us the documents. If it's a doctor and I don't see his two years of business financials and two years of T1s and NOAs, I can't really assess what I can get him qualified for. But the initial consultation to me is the biggest step. And then from there, I really let you know our team take over. So as soon as the application and the documents come in, it's already in Phylogix, it's in our shared drive, it's ready to go. And then as soon as they either buy a house or we refinance, I always talk about, you got to do the deal before the deal. You know, you, well, that's you talk, a great line. A lot of people need to hear this because they literally don't say that one you, more time. You got to do the deal before the deal. So before you even send it to a lender, you got to hop on the call with the client for a second time. You got to say, now I've got your application. Now I've got all your documents. Here is what I recommend. And then you have to put the ball in their court and say, okay, if I send this to TD bank at 1.39% variable with a 25 year RAM, at $800,000 loan size with a 30 year AM, do you want to move forward? You have to ask that question because if the client says, well, let me talk to my wife or ah, actually we were thinking about buying a rental instead or all of those things get addressed and pulled up front. You also right. are in a situation where if you don't ask that question and somebody goes and talks to their private banker, or they go talk to their sister-in-law or something else, they may feel that it's still part of the process where over the next three or four weeks, if they talk to somebody on the street that happens to have a better interest rate that you got them, can you really blame them for talking about their personal situation and looking for a great mortgage rate? No. Can I blame them if I say, here are the terms, I want to make sure that you want to move forward and they say yes, on the phone they actually say yes, and then they go and pull the deal and go somewhere else after the fact, after I've already sent it to the lender. Yes, because at that point, they're breaking a promise to me and I would never submit the file unless they were 100% certain they want to move forward. Right. What's your funding ratio, if you don't mind me asking? It varies, but if I were to guess, it's probably high 80s, maybe low 90s. Right. You're basically getting the commitment from them because if they don't have the commitment, you're wasting your time. So you've got 10 minutes on the first front. Do you chase people, leads, or does somebody follow up with your pre-approvals or do you do it or what happens there? So if I'm a doctor and I'm like, hey, I'm going to get you my stuff, whose job is it to follow up with them? Myself or a couple of the ladies on the team will follow up. We also put them on our drip campaign. So every month they're going to be getting the newsletter anyway. If they're past clients, they're going to be getting the newsletter in the mail as well. So not only are they getting hit eight times a year in the mail, they're now getting monthly email newsletters. And then obviously if it's a live application, I've already corresponded with them. I've had a phone call and some email. So to me, that's enough. I don't really need to put them on a like 
you know, once a week automatic email campaign going out. I don't feel like we need right. to harass them. Like, I mean, the one good thing, I talk to people who are in the financial services space and stuff other than mortgages, and it's always a slow sale where in mortgages, it's like, you know, whether they're refinancing or buying a house, it's pretty time sensitive. So you're either going to win the deal in the first week or a lot of times it's, you know, you put them on your drip campaign and wait till they're ready. You know, you're not trying to sell someone. You're not yeah, trying it's to not like they put them on, Yeah, it's not a purchase you can put on a credit card where they can be like, I'm going to buy it. Yeah, that's great. How big is your team right now? So you did 173 million last year. How many people is that that you've got helping you out? Yeah, it's just five of us. So in terms of marketing, you obviously built a great referral network, people that trust you in this sort of high net worth niche. What's one thing you did that really helped you do that? Because I suspect last year, you probably mostly were just mining your database and your client network. Is that what you did last year? Yeah, yeah. I mean, until you're at the stage of, I would say, at least probably 40 or 50 million. I remember when I first got in the industry and the guy who hired me said, Drew, whatever you do, go out there, shake hands, kiss babies. But he's like, don't try to market. If you try to just be spraying marketing everywhere, it's never going to work. And that's for the seasoned guys. Like once they've actually established themselves, they've got a good brand now to take it to the next level. So to take right. it from 50 million to 100 million, now you need to be known as the expert in the Toronto Star. So for me, I do a little bit of magazine up in Muskoka. I have been in the National Post. I get this guy, I'm always on his radio show. So I do things that I'm definitely kind of known as the expert. And I probably spend 20 grand a year now doing that. But, but not when you started. Not when I started. I wouldn't recommend anyone in the first three years to do it. I think they're going to be spending a lot of money and they're not going to be making money at that time too, right? Right. And you also have a machine to capture that marketing. Like marketing can drive more traffic, but if you don't have the team to support it, then it also is a problem. All right. So this has been a really interesting conversation, Drew. I got some rapid fire questions for you. You can answer these with shorter answers if you like. So what is one thing people can't find about about you on Google? In my younger years, I went skydiving in Vegas with a group of friends. So I don't think I'm ever going to do that again. <laughs> and so what's one movie everyone should watch at least once? Well, I'm a big Michigan fan, but Rudy is a wonderful flick. It gets the, uh, the juices flowing for all you sports and football lovers. And, you know, being part of a team and passion and what it takes at the highest level. I mean, it's all about being an inspirational person. And I feel like that movie really captured that. It's about are you, being are you a team. football fan? I am, yeah. College or NFL? I played Division One football in college, so Central Michigan University. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a little bit of NFL, but I'd say college. Okay, I love NFL. It's one sport that I watch. I don't watch any other sports. But what's one software program or digital tool that your mortgage business can't run without? Our shared drive. So as soon as one of our team members saves something, it instantaneously shows up in the drive so that everyone can see it. And Honestly, when you got applications, purchase agreements, you know, NOAs, T1s, everything flying at you, the fact that I can just forward it to one of the ladies, they save it in the file. And then an hour later, I hop in the file and it's just sitting there ready to go. And I can see it clearly in all PDFs. Yeah. It's, uh, and so do you use, is there a program where you're using like Google or using Dropbox? What is the program you guys use? The technology, I think it's called Omega. I think it's okay. Omega Drive. Yeah. Omega Drive. Cool. And then what's one book that you recommend for our listeners? Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. I mean, I've read it Classic. a few times over the years. In the last six months, I've probably read it three times because I'm big into if you read something once, you're going to retain a little information. But if you continue to read it or some of these podcasts you listen to, if you continue to listen to them, it's going to start to program in your subconscious mind. So I read the book three times in the last six months. And honestly, the philosophy of that book is next level. 
Right. And if you guys are listening to this podcast, listen to it three times. It'll help our download numbers. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, they call repetition is the mother of learning, right? And so in particular with podcasts, when you're listening to something, you know, your brain will go off and you'll start thinking, oh yeah, I could apply this. And you're missing a whole section that you don't even realize it. And you come back later and you go, I didn't even remember that they said that. And it could be the exact same recording. So last question, the DeLorean question, if you could travel back in time to your first day that you started as a mortgage broker and sit across the desk from Drew and say, Drew, you need to do these three things. What would you tell yourself? The studies show that billionaires, they make quick decisions and change their minds slowly. This was actually in the Napoleon Hill book as well, where the majority of people, they make slow decisions and then they waver back and forth. So I think I would tell myself, be bold, be decisive. It's going to serve you and your clients well. Also, Bigger is not always better. Where your focus goes, your energy is going to flow. And lastly, eat lunch and take breaks. It's not a, a short sprint. It's a long game. Yeah. In, my, in my youth there, I had a few episodes where I think I was overworking and, you know, I'd never take lunch and be just driving hard for 70 hours a week and it caught up to me. So if I can give anyone advice on that, sure, work hard, do your best, but, you know, exercise, eat healthy, take your lunch. You know, it, it's a long game. Right. Yeah. It's a marathon, not a sprint, as they say. So, and where can people find you online, Drew? Donaldsoncapital.com. Awesome. Well, brother, I really appreciate your time, man. It's been great to connect with you and hope next year you have another 70% increase. If you choose, that's what you're trying to do. Yeah, Scott, I got a lot of respect for you and, and everything you're doing in the space. So thanks for having me on and wish you all the best. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.